give some. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations? Why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna speak that sh- that everybody voucher. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. This episode is sponsored by Bees. She is the creator of the Gifitize app and the author of the Financial Starter Kickbook. Bees works in the defense industry as an overseas contractor. After years of studying financial literacy and investing, she is now financially free. The Financial Starter Kit comes with a free money allocation spreadsheet and gives you all the resources that you need to take control of your finances today. You can purchase the book at financialstarterkit.com. If you want to learn more about the defense industry and how to obtain a stable, high-paying career in the States or overseas, you can purchase her Defense Industry Guide at www.defenseindustry.guide. Also, for more information, you can follow her on Twitter at capital underscore SB. Hey, welcome to the episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. And today we have another special guest. His name is Big League, and he's a business credit expert, a mortgage lender. And he's just going to drop some game today about like the house buying process, business credit funding, and, and some uh, many more things. So welcome to the show, bro. Hey, hey, what's up, man? Thank you. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. We we appreciate you coming on. And just just to, uh just to get right into it. So for our listeners, do you mind just for giving a, a background on yourself for those who are not familiar with you? Yes, I'm a uh, licensed mortgage loan officer in the state of North Carolina. Uh my NMLS number is one six eight three three five eight. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there for compliance. <laughs> um <laughs> So I, I just do home loans. Um, uh, I used to be a credit repair coach. I had a company before I sold it to get into lending full time. I do business credit lending. Um, pretty much just know how to get people in the houses, man. Um, okay. Stuff like that. So, so you do you do uh, with investments or just uh, properties to live in? I do both. Both. Okay. Yeah, I do both because I'm an investor myself, so I definitely have to uh, uh, speak the language to my investor clients as well. So that's why I invest myself. Mm, okay, I like that. And just and we spoke prior to coming on here, and we talked about how uh, it's some things that the banks don't want people to know when they buy a house for the first time. So I just wanted to get right to that. What are some of the things that the banks kind of the info that they don't want out there? They don't want people to know. Man, so so to start it off, 
if you look on the credit mix, you can Google this. The two main important things is payment history and it's your credit utilization. Right. Most of the time, banks, they tell you, hey, you don't have no credit, get a loan with this. So what you do, you go get a car loan or you just get a regular personal loan. Yep. But a loan eats up your debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. The true thing <clears throat> that they don't want you to know is they don't want you to get a credit card. Um, especially if you don't have any credit because most banks, like they're not giving out secure credit cards right now. So they don't tell you that. <clears throat> so once you get a secure credit card, the rule of thumb is the 15% rule. Banks always tell you 30%, 30%, but that's old. The system, they already know how the 30% rule works. It's actually the 15% rule and the and the thing is banks they tell you um it's 30 percent per card that's wrong it's total cards so for example mm. if a person yeah man like it's, <laughs> yeah so so with the banking system and the credit system i want you to know it's total cards so what you have to do you have to add up all your total credit card limits so for example Let's say you have three credit cards and the total credit limit equals $1,200. So that's $400 on each individual credit card, even right. store cards. Anything that revolves. I know people have fingerhood cards and stuff like that. Anything that revolves. So then what you do, you times that by 15%, whatever that total limit is. And that gives you, you know, 180 bucks. Yep. So you need to keep your total running balance at $180. Well, the banks don't want you to know. They, they don't, definitely, they don't tell you that. And then another thing they don't tell you is how to pay your credit cards. A lot of stuff on Google, even some banks, they'll be like, hey, pay your credit card twice a month. No, you don't need to pay your credit card twice a month. You pay your credit card on the due date and then wait eight days after the due date to reuse the card. I'm going to say that again. Pay it on the due date. Wait eight days after the due date to reuse it. That way you give it time to report to the credit bureaus because everything is digital. It's technology. Anything can happen. So that's why you give it eight days after you pay it on the due date to reuse it. Once you do that, your score is going to jump up about 30 to 40 points. Mm. A lot of times people say, well, I'm just going to pay zero. Well, this is how the American banking system and the credit uh, scoring system works hand in hand. If you pay it to zero, you might get a little point increase. But the banks, if you keep on doing that, they're going to say, well, Xavier, he's not, you know, he's not paying us any interest. So let's just let his credit score go up by one point versus if Xavier pays us some interest, leaves a little something on the card, that will reward him with more points. So banks, if they make the interest off you, they reward you with the credit points. So you got to just play the game like that. Interest might be an extra, you know, five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. But in the meantime, you're getting 30 to 40 points within one month. Mm. Bro, that's, bro, that's, that's major, bro. That's major. <laughs> like no, like no bullshit. Straight up. That's, that's real. Cause you always hear. Like, I know me personally, I always heard about the 30% rule where they say, you know what I'm saying, just stay at 30%, but they don't tell you 
that's for total cards. Like I think a lot of people, well, me, I was under the impression that that was due to one credit card. Nah, man, it's total. Okay, that, that, and, but that makes a lot of sense. Not not what you said. That so I hope people could. Uh, I hope de- I definitely think that's gonna help some people. And the eight days to reuse thing, I think that's important is as, as well because so many times people get to swiping that credit card like it ain't nothing back to back to back without ever them giving a chance for that eight days you know what i'm saying to even to even happen oh yeah man yep in capital one they'll tell you like oh yeah we report next day man <laughs> eight years ago i had to find out the hard way man i almost set it off on capital one man on capital one <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, we report the same day. So I went and brought me a nice 75-inch. Next thing I know, I see the 75-inch on my new bill. My credit score dropped. Yeah. Man, see, that's crazy. And you talked about how uh, you was talking about the 15%. And what you said mm-hmm. it's changed. And why is that? Um, It's just like everyone, like the credit system just got so hip to it. And the banks got hip to it where it's just like, okay, we'll give them a little bit point increase. Because if everyone has good credit out here, the banks, like, they really don't make the the most money. They make their most money off of people with bad credit or mm. okay credit, like, uh, and okay credit is like 660 and below. Mm. Mm. Yep. <clears throat> so let's, let's, let, me, let me ask you this. So ideally... Cause I know this is this is a question that a lot of times a lot of people ask when we when we talk about credit. This is like what's this is like the go to question usually. They'll say, okay, so ideally, if someone doesn't have the best credit, let's say they let's say they low six hundreds, and they want to build up to seven hundred seven fifty credit score. Ideally, how long do you think that should take? Um, it's gonna take about eight months to a year. Okay. <clears throat> because what a lot of people, even credit coaches, man. Um, you got to be truly a vet to know this, but credit is, the scoring model is in buckets. So once you, so that person with a 600 credit score, once they, like to get like a 580 to a 600, that's like a secured credit card. Right. That's about a $200 credit card that you have, $200 to $500. So once you level up and get out of that bucket, then you go into the, 630 to about 650 that's a different bucket and that's just what you add in another trade line a credit card um using it for about good three to six months and then after that getting another one that has more of a credit line increase or just asking for credit line increases and then that's when you'll be in that bucket of 660 plus Mm. (laughs) that makes sense and so you basically so let me let me ask you this. So a lot of with a lot of financial talk that goes on these days, you get a lot of people that say, you know, don't go into that, don't get any credit cards, cancel all your credit cards. So you pretty much against that model. Yeah, man. Like cre- credit runs the world, man. Um, yep. People say cash is king, but here's the thing: um, a person that has, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in cash. They can't compete with a person with a seven hundred, eight hundred dollar, eight hundred credit score mm. um, <clears throat> at all, especially when stuff hit the fan. Because the thing is, why use your own cash to buy 
um, real estate. That's a different, that's a whole different conversation. Right, right, right. <laughs> or, you know, you <laughs> cash to buy a car, um, finance it, use credit. Um, yeah, cash is like the second best. So this whole financial piece, cash and credit, it's like chess. You know, mm-hmm. the strongest piece is the queen on the board because you can move up, down, you go anywhere. That's how credit is. You can go anywhere. With cash, you only can go but so far because once you run out, you don't have it no more. That's the king. Mm. I agree. I agree. And sometimes, <laughs> uh, like, when people have this conversation, you know, you'll have the, uh, what's the, do you see the, you, do you want 100,000 cash or a, or a 750 credit score on Twitter? That, that's a common debate. And I feel like a lot of people, like just on both sides, I think, well, I'll say this more on the credit side, you will get people that say, oh, I'm taking the 750 credit score. I, I could do, you could do more with that. But it's like, that's a, a lot of these people don't really even know what to do with that seven, you know, that 700, 800 credit score anyway. So it's like, it. I feel like at the end of the day, it all comes down to education, no matter what. Like, like if you got the cash or you got the credit, if you ain't got the education on what to do with it. It's pretty much gonna be irrelevant for real, and that and, and, and the money could be gone in the blink in a blink of an eye, and the credit could be messed up in the blink of an eye if you don't have the right info. I feel like that's that's a super important part, and that's why we're doing this to, to talk to talk to people and give them the right info. Yeah, man, exactly. That that's super key, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I want to talk. I want to talk to. Uh, I had I had another uh, credit question I wanted to ask. You, but I can't remember remember what it was, but I know it's gonna come back to me. But in the meantime, like as far as real estate, like for I want to talk about this because this is a big topic as well. The first time home buying process, because I get people that hit me up all the time saying like, contrary to what people might believe, a lot of people don't even know like how to start the the entire process. Like people ask me all the time, and I'd be like, wow, you really don't know like the process to buy a home. So. Do you mind just like breaking it down for the people that's listening that might not know? Yeah, man. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so the first thing first, you call me. You say the first thing first. What? <laughs> you call me. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I didn't think what you said, bro. Yeah. So nah, you can call me, but um, first step is get with a loan officer, um, bank, uh any type of mortgage loan obviously. Meet with them first. I know a lot of times uh, real estate agents, they say, well, get with a real estate agent first. No, um, don't do that. Um, mm. Get with a loan officer first. Nothing wrong with real estate agents. I love them. Uh, they send me business, but um, you'll be wasting a real estate agent's time. If you're not if you're, Yeah, because like, they're like straight commission just like us and they really want to talk with someone that's truly ready, already have a pre-approval letter, that's right. ready to go shopping. <clears throat> so talk to a loan officer first. Um, um, talk to, you know, that loan officer. Once you talk with that loan officer, they'll pull your credit, talk about your finances. And then from there, like if you're, you know, approved, um, that loan officer will connect you with a real estate agent. Um, I tell a lot of people, never try to seek out your own real estate agent. Like if you went out to the loan officer, trust the loan officer with the agent that they gave you just because like that agent and that loan officer already have a relationship and they know like what to do and is in your best interest. I see sometimes when I connect 
uh, buyers to real estate agents. They say, well, I have my own. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. good luck with that. Let's see how this plays out. <laughs> um, so after you connect with the real estate agent and you find the house, you're going to, you know, put your offer in. And then, you you know, if your offer get accepted, the agent will send over the contract. You'll pay your earnest money and due diligence. And then from there, you pay your appraisal fee as well. And then you come to closing. Uh, closing, you might have closing costs. So you always will have your down payment. Down payment can be gift funds or, you know, from your 401k or from yourself. But the lender, your real estate agent, or no one cannot pay your down payment out, like in that realm. So it can be gifted, 401k, or just coming from your savings. Uh, sell like closing costs can come from the seller it can come from the lender and a lot of people always forget it can come from the real estate agent too mm-hmm. um I, I know a lot of people like the agents that i've worked with on my team they give like 0.3 percent of uh you know a piece of their commission towards the closing costs if needed um it's just a service and i tell a lot of people ask the real estate agent to you know pay 0.3 percent of their commission they're working like they're making money off from you uh you know have them help you out i i, I know lenders that give lender credits but that's worst case scenario if the seller don't doesn't give you a credit and i know some agents like oh this guy's wild <laughs> nah, y'all wild <laughs> like <laughs> Said, no, y'all, wow. Yeah, but let me let me uh let me ask you this. So when do when when do you think people should start getting pre-approved? Let's say somebody they want to buy a house, they they looking. So when should they start getting that pre-approval letter or going through that process to get pre-approved? I would say. I say um, well, my business I like talking to people that's like six months like down the road. Mm-hmm. It might sound crazy, but um in this business on the business side, we're straight commission. So it's farming. So it's just like, Hey, I talked to this person six months down the road, they'd be ready. So it keeps the pipe full. So definitely six months down the lane because six months is fast. Yep. It gives you time. If you have to go through credit repair, credit repair should only take three to six months. Anyway, if you've been in credit repair for a whole year, um, you just got, got, um, so yeah, three to six months, and um, they should just start working on their credit, talking to a loan officer, putting a plan together uh, for themselves. Okay. And as far as on you guys' side, well, well, I'll say the, the the loan officers, what are they looking for to approve someone? Is it just debt to uh, debt to income ratio? Is it uh, income? Like, cause this is a question, but this is a question that people ask all the time. Like I was just on the call with someone else and they was, I was telling them how, cause they was telling me how, like how they make a decent, uh, a decent amount of money and they should get uh, pre-approved for a loan or whatever. And I was breaking it down how banks, they care about like how much you making, but that's not super important to them as compared to like uh proof of in- proof of income. They don't really care much about that much money in the bank. Cause you could blow it. But if you don't have, consistent income coming in is like how are you gonna pay us back yeah so so that's a that's a good question man so excuse me so what happens is uh what we look for first thing we look for we look at the credit report okay credit score credit score is key especially now with COVID. i know a lot of banks 
I know a lot of big banks, um, they like push their credit score up from like to a 680 minimum. Mm. Uh, I know, yeah, like during this COVID stuff, like I know a lot of people like bank, yeah, they switched it up. Thank God, the company I work for, New American Funding, their NMLS is 6606. Uh, we stayed at 580. Um, we stayed at 580. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We stayed at 580. And I can get more into why you shouldn't buy at a 580. Okay. But we stayed at a 580. Um, so they look at the credit. The next thing they look at is the debt-to-income ratio. Ratios are very, very important. FHA, you can go as high as 55% back-end ratio. Conventional is super sophisticated. So FHA is more so like Carrie Hilson. <laughs> and conventional is like Beyonce. I'm cracking up, man. That's funny. That's funny. But yeah, like, go that's ahead, go how ahead. it is. So... So if a person wants to go FHA, right, and these are just the guidelines for FHA, minimum 580, um, debt-to-income can be high as 55, 54%. After we look at the debt-to-income, we can't have any judgments. Judgments don't show up on these monitoring sites anymore. Uh, That happened in 2017. They got rid of that. So when I pull your credit, I see your judgments. If you have judgments, you have to pay those off. Like, regardless. Judgments is a bad thing to have. If you don't have any judgments and you have collections, FHA states that you have more than $2,000 worth of collections. We have to count each individual collection. We have to count um, 5% of the balance against you. So if you have $200 collection, 200 times 5%, whatever that number equals, we have to count that against your debt to income ratio. But if you are under $2,000 for collections, we exclude them for conventional. I mean, I'm sorry for FHA. Um, so we look at that. And then we look at the student loan factors. A lot of people have student loans. Mm. Student loans is the devil. If you got a whole bunch of student loans and not good income, FHA stays 1% all day. So that 1% rule kicks out a lot of people. Conventional, on the other hand, Fannie, that's my favorite. Fannie says they can count whatever it says on your uh, credit report. So if you got that $25 payment, hey, we're going to count it all day. Right. And it's best for a person to get on an income-based driven plan, regardless um, if if they're buying a house or not. It just helps out. After we look at the student loans, um, Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I look at the bankruptcies before, but, you know, in this matter, we look to see if you have bankruptcies. If you have bankruptcies, that's, a, that's a, you know, another thing that we look for. I tell a lot of people, because a lot of people, uh, they say, oh, I'm, I'm going to file bankruptcy because I, I got I'm too much credit card debt or I have too mm-hmm. many medical bills. I'll be honest with y'all. Bankruptcy is a rich man's sport. Like, I'm going to say that again. That's a rich say man's again. sport. Bankruptcy is a rich man's sport. And why is that? Why is that? <clears throat> because with bankruptcy, you can't get any more credit. Well, if I have, if I'm a millionaire or a billionaire, I got cash to play with for the next three to five, seven years. So I'm not worried about credit now. 
But for the average person that's, you know, making even a hundred thousand, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand, you can't play ball. You can't. You can't you, play ball. You already don't have cash and now you wiped out your chance for credit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so what these bankruptcy attorneys do, they try to, you know, they they make money off of you. So they like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, you'll be out of this, but hey, like it's, it's about building wealth and bankruptcy. That's going to take you back about five to seven years. Mm. So don't do the bankruptcy unless you truly a millionaire. Mm. And especially for like credit cards, because credit cards, it's not like street credit. You can rebuild your credit and mortgage lenders. I know my particular company, we exclude medical bills because we know ain't nobody paying no medical bills, man. That's true right there. <laughs> but the thing is with medical bills, if you go to the hospital or the doctor, it's about communication. A lot of people, especially minorities, they don't like to communicate. All you have to do is communicate with the uh, doctor's office about how you want to make your payment or the, the, the collector that's collecting on their behalf. But just communicate. Get them, you know, ask the hospitals. Most hospitals have financial uh, assistant programs. Get on those programs. Your whole medical debt is paid off. And then the doctor's office, too. They can work with you as well. You can be paying your doctor 25 bucks or 50 bucks a month. But avoid that medical collection. <laughs> That's heavy. Right? And yeah. just, just as far as, like, the bankruptcy game, that was heavy as well. Because I, I know a lot of people, like, growing up, I know it was, like, a lot of adults when I was younger that was going through, like, financial strife. And they would like, that's what they would go to resort to is uh, filing for bankruptcy. And it's probably because they didn't have the information. Like what you just saying, it's a, it's a rich man's game. And it, it really is. But if you ain't got that information, the education, like we talked about earlier, you don't know no better. You end up setting yourself back that five, seven years, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So lenders, we don't like to see bankruptcies. Um, pretty much, we don't, like, you don't need a cleanest profile. But we definitely want to make sure you have a job, especially now with COVID. Um, you want to have a job. It's not two years. A lot of people think you have to be on the same job for two years. No, it's a two-year work history, but no jobs. Yeah, so you could going be playing for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and turn around, you working at CBS. Mm. As long as I got a two-year work history and I can verify it, we good. What about what about on the entrepreneurial side though? So if somebody don't have a job and they work for themselves, I know the criteria is a little different, right? Yes. Yeah, so my entrepreneurs yeah. had them tax returns ready when you go meet with your lender. And the thing is, what a lot of entrepreneurs mess up at, especially minorities, we write off everything. We got to yep. start writing off everything. Yep. Because the thing is, as an entrepreneur. You got to pay them taxes. You're a boss. Real bosses pay their taxes. Mm-hmm. And when you pay them taxes, what happens now, it shows you have more income. Yep. And then with that income, now you can work the system to your advantage by getting lines of business, lines of credit, getting more business credit. Because the banks, they're going to see, okay, Xavier has been paying his taxes, not claiming a lot of losses, great income. Yeah, we're approving for a business line of credit. Versus, you know, Paul over here, Paul, he wrote off everything. Like, he ain't buying to get no house or no, no credit. Right. 
bro, that's that's so important. And I, and I literally just had a conversation with some people uh, a couple of days ago about this. And I was talking to someone that he was telling me how he's pretty much he's making a good he's making about six figures, but he's writing everything off and he's trying to, you know, do some things, some investments and stuff like that. And I'm like, bro, just for for the, for this year. So for when next year come, make sure you don't do that again. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what a lot of like new entrepreneurs do. Like you said, man, we, we found out you can write stuff off and you, we damn near write everything off. But long term, I don't think it's the best strategy, especially if you're trying to level up and use the banks and stuff like that. Cause they going to look at it. You writing everything off. It looks like on paper, you ain't making no money. So it's like, why would I loan you X amount when you ain't even making nothing? So that's a big, that's a bit. That's this. This that's an important conversation, bro. Yeah, man, it, it, it's huge. And I tell a lot of people, especially if they want to get into real estate investing and they're an entrepreneur, build your team up. And with your team, first thing first, get your lender. Then after that, make sure you know your accountant and lender they work hand in hand. Yeah. Don't use your cousin Tammy that's been doing everybody taxes in the hood. Cause Tammy ain't on that level. She just, she just, you know, she just know how to get people the little money back. But you know, she's she not on that level to really take it there on the business end. So I tell people, either connect with a CPA or just interview a tax accountant or preparer that's mm-hmm. familiar with real estate. Mm. <clears throat> um, that's, that's game right there. Yeah, and a lender, like any lender, all good lenders have a good account. On their team, I have two, so um, definitely get that. And then after that, you want to have your real estate agent on your team as well. You know, make sure your real estate agent is very versed in wholesaling and uh, private money lending, um, just everything real estate. Everything. Yeah, because a lot of people they're like, oh yeah, I just got me a real estate attorney. They do closings. My 11-year-old son can do a real estate close. Mm. You, need someone that, <laughs> you need someone that can truly, like, like drop the right paperwork that makes sense where they understand. So later on down the road, if something comes up, that person understands. I like and that. I, yeah, and a lot of people, they go on uh, what, LegalZoom and stuff like that. Yep. Nah, like, LegalZoom is cool. Uh, if you want to play, play, be a play entrepreneur, but, like, Really just reach out. Yeah, like just, just no, reach you be, out you being real, bro. Yeah, like people like oh, I'm on legal zone. Like what? Nah, like reach out to someone locally in your market and build that rapport because uh, you never know who that attorney you might know. Um, and, and that's key. Attorneys know a lot of people. They do. They know a lot. They got the, the attorneys <laughs> network always be crazy. But I think. A, a bigger conversation that, that needs to be had well, what we talking about is how if you're going to be serious about business or entrepreneurship, you can't be playing around and always trying to do shortcuts, little, little bullshit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like taking the, the cheaper, the, the easier routes. Cause sometimes it's going to cut you in a, in a, in a, in an end anyway. So it's, it's best. Cause I, I'm, and I'm speaking on this cause I know this is what a lot of, especially like minorities, entrepreneurs, when you first get in the game, it's like, oh man, I want to, I want to cut costs. I want to do this. I want to write everything off. I ain't going to get, try to get the, the, the best uh, CPA or all that stuff. But I'm just here to tell you, man, that shit is, that shit is, 
it's going to, you're going to be losing money in the end of doing all that. Just do it the right way from the jump. You know what I'm saying? If you're a business person, be serious about your business. You know what I'm saying? You don't, don't play with it. Like, like how you were saying, don't be a play, play entrepreneur, be serious and make sure everything you're doing is obviously portable, but make sure it's on the right level. It ain't no BS. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's an important conversation to have. Yeah. Yep. And, and for people that, um, what lenders look for, this is across the board. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to buy a house, we need two years worth of tax returns showing that entrepreneurship, um, income. Um, if you don't have it, go find a nine to five. I know a lot of people bash people with nine to fives, but it's nothing wrong with working at nine to five. Um, I tell people like, Hey, if you lay your nine to five job, you know, aim to be the CEO or president, like work it to your advantage. Facts. Work it to your advantage. That's <laughs> work it to your advantage. And talk about because you you mentioned it earlier, but we didn't go into it. You say why you shouldn't buy a house with a with a five eighty credit score. So talk about like why it's not the best <laughs> idea to buy purchase when you have a low credit score. Okay, this is something the banks or no other lenders gonna tell you. This is called where even you know real estate agents uh, they do it. A lot of lenders do it. They say, "Oh yeah, we can do five eighties, But here's the hard facts. And if you're listening to this, like get your piece of paper and write this down. Um, so a five eighty credit score. All lenders we go to this thing called a rate sheet. That's what it's called. It's pretty much where you go get your interest rate from. What they don't tell you, someone has to pay for that interest rate. The lender or you. Someone is going to pay for that. Even the sellers, somebody got to pay for that rate. It's not free. So on a rate sheet, for example, a 580, like right now, <clears throat> rates are right now like a below a 600 to get on my rate sheet, you'll be at a 4.125. Mm. That's, that's not a bad rate. That's, yeah, that's, not. A, that's a low rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is just an example of for compliance. But <clears throat> For uh, with a 580, now it's going to cost you. Let's say it's going to cost you to get to get that 4.125. It's going to cost you an additional eight thousand dollars. So let's say you're buying a two hundred thousand dollar home. Your down payment is seven thousand dollars, and then it's going to cost you what we said eight thousand just to get on the rate sheet. Yep. It's going to cost you eight. And then let's say the seller decides to only give you $2,500 in closing costs. So you got another, let's just say 3000 in closing costs. You got to come out of pocket. So now it's costing you $18,000 just to buy a house that costs 200000 And the extra cost is when you've got to buy the rate. Mm. And yeah, the lender could help you out, but let's say the lender, lenders can help out, but so much. So let's just say the lender is only able to give you $3,000 out of that eight. So you still got to come up with an extra five. You still got to come up with that money. Yeah, the, the average 580 credit score, they're not playing ball like that. They're trying to figure out how to get down to their assistance. Yep. And even if you do have money, why spend an extra five when all you have to do is, one, get a secure credit card, or two, just, you know, let's pay, the, let's pay some credit card debt down or Right. Fix his credit up. <laughs> See, and that's another thing that 
I know it's in our community, it ain't really talked about. You know what I'm saying? You got people with low credit that they think, you know, you know, we brought up, a lot of us brought up, we think, like, you get a job, you buy a house. That's the first thing you do. You know what I'm saying? It don't matter what your credit score is. None of that stuff don't matter. It's like, that's what you're supposed to do. That's how a lot of us was brought up. I know I heard that a lot as a, as a kid, so I know other people, especially in our community, heard that as well. But if you ain't got things in order, like how we talking about right now, is not the best idea. Exactly. Exactly. And for the people that push that 580 credit score, man, just watch them. Just, just watch them. Like, they pushing it because they, they want the low-bearing fruit, but I don't push it. Like, someone says I got money with a 580, it's just like, hey, like, let me give you the best service. Let's uh, bring this credit score up. Mm-hmm. So you can get the best rate and you can save money because when you buy a house, like, as soon as you buy a house, it happens all the time. You're going to want to make the house yours. You're going to be, you know, yep. paying, put TVs. Uh, if, if, if you are old school mama, listen to this, you know you're going to buy them elephants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You ain't lying, bro. <laughs> They love them elephants, man. Yeah, man. They love that shit. Yeah. But that's that's real though. Uh let me ask you this though. So what do you think uh as far as scores though? What's a what's a good score? I ain't I ain't talking like great. I ain't talking about the best score, but just like what's a good score for like an entry point? I'm gonna be honest, right now, this is FHA only okay. due to this COVID nineteen stuff. Six forty. That's a good six forty. Um, because that can get you into the door uh, with a lot of these programs. Um, <clears throat> it gets you the best terms. Uh, for conventional financing, I ain't gonna lie, like you, you gotta be having like at least a six forty. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a seven forty. Mm-hmm. Seven forty. And banks, anyone can do a conventional score at six twenty. But again, conventional is super super sophisticated. It's the Beyonce. So that 620 conventional is like a 580 FHA. Damn. Like, yeah, like, and a lot of banks, like your big banks, I'm not going to mention their names, but, you know, Google Big Banks, you know who I'm talking about. Yep. Um, a lot of their loan officers, they don't know how to do government loans. And government loans are USDA, FHA, VA. They only can do conventional, conventional, conventional. But conventional financing, you have to have, one, money, because conventional, they like to see that you have some type of reserves. Yep. And for two, you got to have at least a seven, seven or 40 credit score right now due to COVID. I have gotten people approved uh, going conventional with 660s, but again, they had the money. Because conventional, they want to see you have the down payment plus six months reserves. Reserves meaning... Uh, six months of your monthly mortgage payment in the bank. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they're not really dang good to trying to play ball. They're like, hey, I just I scraped up the down payment barely. So, <clears throat> and, and right now with COVID, a lot of people, uh, like even if you have a 640, you can get these down payment assistance programs. Let me, let me tell you about these programs, man. Those programs are not really in your favor. It's not free money. It's a second lien on the house. It's a second loan second that you're loan. getting. And so a lot of these 
assistant programs and you got to talk to your lender in that area that you're in. <clears throat> I do down payment assistance in the state of North Carolina only. But, um, and I do one, I do with this program called Chinoa as well, but North Carolina House and they're just in North Carolina. But a lot of these programs, they, um, it's a second lien and they're only forgivable and like starting like year 11 and fully forgivable in year 15. The average home buyer is selling their home in five to seven years anyway, right? Mm. So it's just like, you know, if, you, if you're trying to sell that home, you think you're banking on getting that crazy uh, equity out from that sale. Guess what? You got to pay back that 8000 Wait, the average home buyer only keep their home for five, seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have thought, thought it was like over a little over 10. Oh, man. Nah, man. Nah, they, they ain't like grandma and grandpa. Right. Like, they, they selling them things, man. They sell. And why, but why do you, why do you think that is? Is it, why do you think it's shorter now? Um, man, just people, you know, t- like, I, I guess, like, people just get tired of the same stuff, man. Oh, yeah. You know, like how they say everyone buys a car every three years? Yep. Yeah, so they just get tired of, of, you know, staying in that same house. Um, so, yeah, so just be mindful of that. So if you're thinking about going going down payment assistance and you have a 401k, use that 401k all day to your advantage. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a strategy that I, I think a lot of people are not aware of. Oh, man, the 401k strategy is the bomb.com because here's the thing. A lot of people, they, they depend on that work 401k, but they don't understand the taxes. You're either going to get taxed on it right now, yep. or you're going to get taxed on it when you're older, when you it has more money. Yep. I personally rather get taxed on $30,000 versus 230000 Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I tell people is like, hey, you know, right now you have the CARES Act. Look more into that. I'm not going to go into detail, but you have a CARES Act, and then you also can ask for a hardship loan when you're buying a house. Take that money. Yeah, you're going to have to pay taxes or whatever. Uh, you can't, I think you can't, uh, you can't put in money in your 401k for like six months, but who cares? You're buying a house. Buying a you house. take that money, use for your down payment, stay in a house for five to seven years. The equities build up in it. Once you sell it, boom, you get your money back. Take that money that you put in from your 401k, put it in a Roth IRA or something, or just take that money and go buy a rental property. Mm. <clears throat> or um, let's say you don't sell your house, you just do a cash-out refinance. Or cash-out refinance, that money's tax-free. Tax, Man, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, bro. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, because that's that's another hell of a man. It's so like it's so many, like I could go on all day. It's just so many strategies that's just out here to that you can that people can do. Even if you're not in the best financial situation, it's all on the information. Like, and you can't be like I spoke on this uh uh yesterday. You can't be lazy when you when when you in pursuit of this information. You can't expect people just to give it to you or they owe it to you or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Some people don't mind giving you the game and they'll give it to you, but you shouldn't expect them to give it to you, you know, everything, especially if they, if they, if it's for free, they're not charging you anything because nobody owes you anything. You got to be willing to, 
to get out here and get this information yourself. Like I say, this podcast, YouTube videos, books. You can't be intellectually lazy when you doing when you when you live in life, especially if you try, if you're trying to win. You gotta take you gotta take things seriously. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's huge, man. That's huge. Um, and I tell anybody like just like if you're trying to take it to that level, and you see someone in your market that's on that level, do your research on that person. Exactly. Then after you do your research, you know, invite them to the Panera Bread. Invite them to a Zoom. Right now, you know, can't really, the only thing you can really do is Zoom, but a strategy will be find that person. Call their number. You might get their assistant. Assistant, send them something. You can go to, you know, uh, I don't know, you can go somewhere small in the Dollar Tree or something. Just send them something saying, hey, I see that you do real estate. You, you, you build wealth. I'm interested in learning more. That person will call you as soon as they get that. They say thank you and put you on their calendar. Yep. And then from there, you kind of figure out, because a lot of times in real estate, people charge for information. Yep. To get around from being charged, you got to figure out how you can add value to that person's business. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. Like, see, because I think sometimes people don't realize, like, that you're not the only, you might be asking the question, but you're not the only one. Like, especially if you got somebody that's probably popular or something, like you probably ask that question, but it's probably 150 other people that ask the same question. And it's like the, somebody might not have the time to reply to all, everybody, everybody that asks them that same question with the same energy and all that. So when, when doing things like that, like what you just mentioned, you got to stand out in some way. And that's a way to stand out where somebody might be, okay, let me put a little bit more energy into this person because not only do I know he's going to take it serious, he he, he, he going to act on it, probably boss up. Because most people, the reality of it is, most people, and I know I talk to a lot of people personally, and they be like, that's why they don't really, that's why they charge people because they're like, you're not going to waste my time because most people would take the information and do nothing with it. So it's like, damn, bro, you just wasted 30 minutes of my time talking to you. You ain't even do nothing. You just wanted a conversation pretty much. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, they do it all the time, man. Yeah, you know, you know how it goes. Like you, you, you could, you could get somebody a whole rundown, a whole play, and it's like they six months go by. It's like, did you do anything? No, I like damn. What the hell? Why you wasting my time like that? But yeah, that's that's uh that's that's a that's a big conversation. And uh yeah, yeah. You you have something else you want to say? I ain't mean to cut you off. Um. Nah, that's that's really about it, man. Um, that's really about it. Um, what else I can tell you about? Yeah, like use your phone with Kato. That's huge. I say definitely use that. Um, when it comes to gift funds, um, if you're gonna get a gift, this is the best way to get it. Because gift funds, yes, we can take gifts, but sometimes the system doesn't like that gift fund, especially if you like getting. If you don't got no skin in the game, you getting your whole down payment as a gift. Like the system, like frowns upon that. And the system I'm talking about, it's a desktop underwriter and it's loan processor. That's what all banks, loan officers use across the board to get to see if you approve them. And from there, the best strategy if you're gonna get a gift, a mom, dad, baby, daddy, or whoever, just create a joint account. For you and that person, yeah, okay, and just a lot had a, yeah, just had the money going in there. We just need two month bank statement, so just 
credit prior and this you know you and that person come up with an agreement like you won't touch it they won't touch it is money for the down payment so now i don't have to do it as gift funds anymore i can say hey this is underwriter receipt hey, this is a joint account we just gotta have, make sure the other person that's on the account they just sign off saying yes yeah, so you yeah you have authorized to use the funds in the account mm, see, that's another strategy man i, I never <laughs> i haven't heard that one Man, I I had seen it all, and I like when I do lending. I like it to be smooth because the first time home buyer, they just be so tense. So <laughs> they do, they do, they do. Yeah, it's it's understandable though, but that's definitely true. Was let me let me ask you this: What's the uh, this is like a cliche question, but I I definitely want to ask it. What's the biggest like you think mishaps that the first time buyers make when they get in that first crib? They, uh, it's two. The first one is they have cash. You mean paying for cash or? No, like they have. I mean, like paying with cash? My bad. They not like, yeah, they down payment. They have it in their shoebox. Oh, you mean or, like actual cash? Yeah, like okay. they just have, yeah. So, like, don't, like, if you got money sitting in the shoebox and you feel like you're not disciplined to put it in a bank account, like you got to get discipline. Put in their bank account, cause like the mortgage business, it's all about paper trail. Mm-hmm. And if you got cash, like it's all it's, you talking about. The process gonna be difficult for you. You just made it so difficult for yourself. So if you got cash and you thinking you a dope boy, a dope girl, like nah, real bosses put it in the bank. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna lose your money. The FDIC insures two hundred fifty thousand oh. dollars of your money. So put it immediately. Take it to the bank. Put it in there. Don't touch it. If you still feel like you're gonna touch it, put it in a CD. CDs, it's, you can't really touch a CD like that. <clears throat> so put it in a CD. The second thing I will say um, is trying to keep up with the Joneses on that first purchase. Mm. Like, you know, I might give you a pre-approval letter for three fifty, and you come back with three fifty-eight, or exactly three fifty for your first mm-hmm. house. Don't shoot for the dream house. Don't, because I tell my first-time home buyers, when you buy this first house, you are an officially invested. Even you though you're on a home, yeah, you're an investor now. You in a game. So now I tell them, hey, think three years, five years. Really, I tell them three, I tell them five to seven, especially if they have kids. Five or seven plan. Think about what you're going to do within that time period. You're either going to sell it or you're going to call me to do a cash out refinance. Okay, yeah. And from there, you kind of got to figure out, okay, do you want to move up now? Or do you just want to do a cash out refinance, stay in your current property? And just go buy some investment properties elsewhere. Mm. That's the name of the game. You use yep. that one house to buy other houses. But a lot of people, they sell that one house and go buy another move-up house. And they're not winning a game. And then what happens when they get older, guess what they do? They come rent one of my houses that I brought. <laughs> so I guess straight up. <laughs> Hey, that's real though, cause I I, I remember uh, I had this barber, right? I had this barber, and like this was like a couple years ago, 
like two, three, no, like probably like three years ago. And uh, he was telling me how, how um, like him and his girl, he's like, yeah, we bought this house a couple years ago. He's like, we getting ready to sell it, man. It went up a lot. Uh, it went up a lot in value. So he sold it. And if, for anybody that know anything about California, these houses go up in value and you can make a lot of money because these houses cost you. So he sold his home. He made a hundred thousand. Like he made a hundred thousand dollars. So mm. yeah, he net, he pocketed, kept. So I remember I seen him, I went to the barbershop one day and he was like, he was just happy as shit. He like, man, this is the most money I ever had in my life. I got a, over a hundred grand in my account right now. This is crazy. And I was like, man, what you going to do with it? Like, what's the next move? He like, man, I'm trying to keep it. He's like, I'm about to, uh, he's like, cause it's just me, my wife and my uh, two kids. He was like, I just want to move it, rent an apartment, keep that money and just do some things with it. I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. So the next time I went to go see him when I got another cut, he was like, I'm like, he, he, he wasn't, he, I could tell from his vibe that he wasn't like, you know, in that same mood that I seen before. So I'm like, what's up, everything good, what's going on? So I'm like, you still, you still on your way, the plans you had? He was like, man, my girl, she tired of, she said she don't want to be in an apartment. We got a family, apartments. We supposed to have a house pretty much when we can't stay in an apartment. He was like, so we just about to get another house and I'm about to put that 100000 down. I'm like, dog. Jeez. I'm like, see, but I'm like, <laughs> when he told me that, I'm like, that's just, that just shows you that programming a lot of us have when we kids. Because like his wife was thinking, she was thinking they're not supposed to be in an apartment. They got a family. So she'd rather be in a house and broke than be in an apartment and have over 100000 in her account where she could live comfortably now. And he went and he bought that house. And he was like, now I'm back. I remember he told me, like, yeah, now I'm back to ground zero trying to grind it back up. I'm like, bro, you just had a bag, though. <laughs> yeah, man. He, uh... He messed up. He yeah. should have called Big League approved. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, should have called Big League approved for real. And he was an older guy, bro. He he like uh late thirties, probably early forties now. So I ain't seen him in a while. But yeah, so that's and when when that when I when I seen it happen, I was just wondering like, like man, I wonder how many other people do the same shit because that shit was it was baffling to me. I'm like, yo, I would have been in an apartment making so many moves, just paying rent. Not in no debt. Up like, yeah, that's. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy, man. So, so in a situation talk. like that, he had a family. So I, I get the family situation. Yeah, I get it. Um, I get it. He, if I was him, I would have took. I would have just brought. I would have took a. Cause it, let me see what I would have did. I would have just used. Not even all the proceeds. Maybe I would have gave myself twenty five thousand out of that to buy another house with right. take the rest 75,000 and just invest it into different assets uh, such as real estate but he 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 hasn't lost though all he has to do now is uh, see if he can get a line of credit from a bank because if he put 100,000 down on that house mm-hmm. um, he, he might have a line of he, he might be eligible to get a line of credit because he has equity. He has a hundred grand of equity. And then from there, he can take the line of credit and start buying investment properties in, in, in smaller markets in the USA, such as like, I know North Carolina, my favorite markets are Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and Greenville, North Carolina. Um, like Memphis, Tennessee, just yep. 
take that money and invest in smaller markets because the smaller markets um section eight is great like people frown upon section eight but hey during this pandemic like section eight ain't stopped lending that money right that that, that check coming all day Got one, yes, got one on the first. The thing that check coming, that check, the next check is definitely coming. I don't know. I, some people, you know, you know, some people have bad experience, that's why they look down upon it. But me personally, like you said, I don't look down upon it at all. Yeah, yeah that's, that you, you, you're right about that. That is, that's, that, that's definitely a move. That, uh, that he he could he could make or he may have made. Like I said, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, so hopefully everything good. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to I want to want to this is one of uh, my last questions I had going back to like the loan program. So, in your opinion, what is the best loan program? I ain't gonna lie, my favorite one is the VA. Uh, hey, VA, and that's hey, that's understandable on so many levels. Me being a veteran, all right, but I, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, man, thank you for your service, man. By the way, man, appreciate, uh, definitely, definitely for sure, man. I, I appreciate that, man. VA loans, if you're a veteran listening to this and you don't own a house, chill with the bullshit. <laughs> Like, go get your house. Like, go get your credit right. Mm-hmm. You deserve a house. Like, and, and veterans, they have it where you can use your VA loan twice, especially if you have entitlement left and if you move to a different area. The mm-hmm. distance has, it's, it's a distance, and you just got to have entitlement left over. But if you're a veteran and you don't own a house and you're renting, why are you playing that game? Mm. Why are you playing yourself? Go mm. buy. You know, we got to be a dream house. Just go. You can buy a multi-family. You can buy a duplex with your VA loan. You can buy up to a four-unit um, yep. mini apartment with your VA loan. Mm. Like use your VA loan and get rich off from it. Yep. <laughs> Man, you cut you cut deep right now because me and me and uh, my girl, we ran where we live at right now, but we uh in the process of getting something. Out here using our VA loan, anything like I say, you know anything about Cali? These cribs, they we go five, six, seven hundred thousand. So if I could get something using my VA loan, I put no money down. Shit, I'm winning, and you could man, do it more than you could do it more than once. Man, you are winning. As long as you have that entitlement, you can yep. definitely do it. Like I'm, I'm helping a a guy now. He moved from North Carolina to Alabama. Uh, he already has a VA loan in Carolina, and um. He's buying another one in, in Alabama using the same VA loan. It's all about having that entitlement left over. But mm-hmm. I say you're a veteran. Definitely, like, don't sit on it. Like, get it. Because the thing is, like, you deserve it as a veteran. Um, and the thing is, like, let's say, like, you truly hate being a homeowner. Like, sell it. Rent it out. Just Rent make it money out from it. Exactly. You can always run it out. There's people always running. That's mm-hmm. yeah. That's yes. So, so what about what's what you think is second after the VA loan? After the VA loan, second, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say my conventional. Mm, okay. I'm gonna say conventional. I thought you were going FHA. Nah, I like I like the conventional because for my folks with student loan debt, that's like 
95% of Americans, it seems like. Yeah. Um, exactly. Long as you can qualify, get that credit score up, have some money, that conventional family is going to show you love. Mm. And that's how I'm able to like, help so many borrowers out because they're on an income-based student plan. They have some money. They pull the money from their 401k to show that they have six months reserves. Um, conventional is a phenomenal loan product. And, and you know, you're going to have PMI if you don't put 20% down, but who cares? Like, you're in a house. Like, PMI, it, it is what it is. Um, you can, it drops off in about two to three years anyway. And with me, I have a strategy where I can kind of save you some money on the PMI. I ain't going to really mention it too much, but just call me. We got to put 5% down, though. Um, that ain't bad. Yeah, and then as a conventional, I would say it's FHA. Then at the FHA is my USDA. USDA. Yeah. Mm. See, and the USD the USDA loan is a loan that you don't hear a lot of people talk about. Oh man, that loan is phenomenal. It's 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 a, it's a good loan if you want to move out to the rural areas. Zero percent down, no PMI. Um, the only thing about that loan, though, if you already own houses, you can't get a USDA loan. Mm. That's the only downfall. So if you're an investor, like, you know, you and I, we can't, we can't be buying, getting a USDA loan in the rural area. And the thing is, you can't do a cash-out refinance on USDA loans. Oh, you can do rate damn. of term. Yeah, so USDA loans, like, it, it's a good for if you're going to move into the rural area, and if you do want to be an investor, cool. Just, you know, stay in the USDA loan for a year or so. Rent it out. Go buy another property using conventional. If you buy another property, so if you already own a property and you want to buy another property going conventional, you always got to put 5% down. That's the rule of thumb. Um, but USDA... They're, they have back-end ratios of 41%, so they're tight on that, and they have income limits. So if you make like 100 grand plus, depending on where your market's at, and a lender, myself, or another lender, we can look to see what the income limit is for that area. But if you like making good money, you probably wouldn't even qualify for USDA. Mm. Yeah. But it's a great program. It's a great program. Yeah. See, I'm I'm gonna definitely uh do my re- do my research <laughs> on that, man. Yeah, and uh yeah, before we uh before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to go over that we didn't get a chance to? Um, uh, what else? Uh, nah, that's really about it, man. I guess later down the road, I do uh private money uh lending, like I raise money. Um, you do private money lending yourself? Yeah, man, I raise money. Um. That, that's a great beast. Uh, business credit funding, I do that as well. With that, just have a 700 credit score um, for sure. Uh, business credit is the best thing any entrepreneur can have. You, know, mm, yeah. you don't need a DUNS number unless you're uh, going after government contracts. That's the only time a DUNS number is used. Banks look at LexisNexis, commercial Equifax, corporate experience. That's what they look at. And you've got to have a 700-plus credit score. You can't have any derogatories, especially in the last two years, any credit card collections. 
Um, but business credit funding, like if you can get approved for it and you're an entrepreneur, like why are you playing? Like get that business credit mm-hmm. funding, you're gonna get 0% interest anyway. Use it to go buy some real estate assets, have your tenants pay it back or when you do that cash out refinance, pay it back on it to repeat. Mm-hmm. That's, and I'm glad you brought up the business credit, bro, because uh, people, when they hear it, some people, they'll be like, man, I ain't gonna be able to get no, like, no. I remember I was talking to somebody about business credit and they were saying like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to get mine because my, my, my personal credit's uh, trash. And I'm like, oh, no, nah, bro. I'm like, I'm talking business credit right now. That's two different things. So just break that down for the people that don't <laughs> don't know the differences or they think business credit and your personal credit run congruent. So they kind of do and they don't. So when I say they kind of do, when you when you apply for business credit funding, these are tier like tier five level cards. We ain't talking about your your store cards. I call it the um, the bras and uh, the bras and, and biscuits. Meaning, you know, your Victoria's Secrets and your Burger King credit <laughs> cards. Like, no, these are big boys. Right. So to get the big boys, the banks they're gonna pull your personal credit because you're gonna personal guarantee. Yep. And they're gonna see what's going on with your personal credit. A lot of people first say, I don't want a personal guarantee. I just want on my social. All right, that's cool. You got you know, you to definitely show your business is making money. Right. Like a million plus. If not, chill out. Personal guarantee. All personal guarantee is you're co-signing for yourself. Then on yourself. So the banks, if they see that your credit score is a 580, you're not getting business credit funded. Go to credit repair. But if you have a 700 plus, they're going to say, okay, you have the credit score. And a lot of banks is one of 680, but I tell people 700. 700. So then from there, the first thing they're going to look at is your credit profile. Make sure you don't have any derogatories in the last two years. And you don't owe any credit cards. You don't have any collections with credit cards because you're trying to get business credit cards. It's a regular credit card. That's all it is. It's not crazy. From there, when it comes to the lending piece, they're going to look at your personal credit card limit and they're going to either uh, double it or three times whatever your personal credit limit is. So it's great for a person to have high personal credit card limits because that business credit is going to mirror that either, even double it or triple it for you for the funding piece. So for example, my dad, he has a trucking business. He went into business like last year and I was able to get him $50,000 business credit funding. He personally guaranteed, but it does not show up on his credit report at all. Business credit does not show up on your personal credit at all. The only business credit that shows up is that capital one business credit card. But the other major players that I deal with, they do not show up on your personal credit. So with that, once you get the business credit, you golden. Just use it. Don't be late. Pay it on time. And business credit is not like personal credit where you got to monetary utilization. They don't care about that. Only thing they care about is payment history. But if you want to ask for credit line increases, make sure that that, that business credit utilization is down because they kind of do frown upon that. Like, oh, your balance is kind of high. You're asking for more money. But if they see that you're maxing it up and then paying it back down every month, 
you can call, like I say, do that. Like the first three months you get business credit, you can just max it up, pay it back, max it up, pay it back. And then call the bank and say, hey, I need a credit line increase. They're going to see that you're maxing this thing Maxing out. You don't have enough. They're going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like what I tell people all the time, when you use business credit, use it to buy some assets. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, bro. Because people yeah. might hear, they might hear how easy it is to be inc- to increase it. It's like, oh, shit, you know, I, a lot of times you think, oh, shit, I'm going to go do this or that. Like, don't, don't fuck it all, bro. Use that, yeah, th- use it the right way. Yeah, go buy some assets. Like, yeah. my favorite strategy, and I use this personally for my business credit, I I go buy houses. I just bought a house. If you go on my Twitter, you'll see that I bought a house for $8,000. Mm, beautiful. I love to hear it. Eight thousand. I got private money for that. The eight thousand. Um, but the thirty thousand that it needs in repairs, I'm using business credit funding. Zero mm. percent interest for the first whole entire year. I'm doing a cash out refinance. It should be done maybe in two to three months. The repairs. Do a cash out refinance. Pay back my business credit. Anything else left over, I'm paying myself. Exactly. Rinse and repeat that process repeat. every three to six months. You're unstoppable. You own properties for you. can own some free and clear. You can own some where you're doing cash out refinances. But just, you know, buy assets with it. I wouldn't say buy stocks with it because stocks, you can't can really control that game. But real estate, you can control that. You control it. And that's beautiful, <laughs> man. Yeah. And I know when people hear that, because I just tweeted uh, recently about how my first crib was less than 20 people hear that and they'd be like, what? They like, it's, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to believe that. And it's like, yo, just look outside of your surroundings. Like, keep your eyes open. Just because you live in damn Virginia or you live in New York don't mean you only have to look in Virginia in New York. You know what I mean? Look, look everywhere. When you, and when you're on a property hunt, be open to investing where you're not at. You know what I'm saying? That's part of it. You can't be scared to 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 to, to do that, honestly. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're going to start investing like a person that stays in Cali or New York where it's super expensive, um, I say my first rule of thumb, again, talk with a lender yep. in that market or just talk to a lender, period. And then go find a, a property management in property that market. Management interview three and the thing is right the rule of thumb property management they want they want to charge you 10 percent. yep my property management charged me eight my mine's charged me seven damn i need yours then mine's yeah. mine's fucking up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah but you're right about that they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna typically be around that 10 percent. so that's true and that's the key right there like Man, when I talk to people about investments in the state, I'm like, property management is either going to break or make your experience. Like, the right property manager is going to be smooth. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have, you ain't going to really have no worries at all. You know what I'm saying? If things need to be taken care of, they'll let you know. You get it fixed. But if you got some BS property manager, it's going to be hell. Like, that's the, that's a, that's like your damn point guard right there. That's a major piece. Exactly. And I tell people, if your property management does not have a, a portal where you can log in and see the statements, mm-hmm. that's a red flag right there. Mm-hmm. Like, get with someone that shows you the statements, communicates with you. 
Like my private management, they show me the statements. Statements, all that. They email me. Uh, they they call me. Like <clears throat> my tenant just signed their lease in March, and um, renewed it. And um, they just called me, and say, "Hey, well, this is how much we can, you know, increase the rent." And we, you know, and, right. and you want to get a property management that truly invests in that area because they know yep. the area. They know the area. Yep. Just don't get a real estate agent company to be your property management that don't even invest in that area. They don't know nothing about the area. All they care about is collecting that check. Exactly. Yeah, that's that. That's gonna be. That's gonna lead to a bad experience most times. Yep. Yeah. So that that's heavy right there, man. We tell it all the time. Like we always talk about property management because I know, especially when you invest in where you don't live, it's gonna be. It's gonna. It's gonna mean everything for your experience, man. And that's how some you get some people have a bad experience, and they like real estate, not my thing. I'm not doing it ever again just because they had a shitty property manager that wasn't on their A-game. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of new investors, like, just ask questions. Like, I know a lot of people, they're scared to, you know, um, have a mentor mm-hmm. or just, you know, ask people for advice. Um, like, Bigger Pockets is good. Yep. Listening to this podcast is great because um, there's so many people that you can kind of just Google or just, you know, ask you about to connect. Yep. Um, but definitely like if you're a new investor, like don't don't be the person that you're not teachable. Mm. Like definitely ask questions, get a mentor, you know, even though you read it on bigger pockets or read it in a real estate book, like just ask someone to mentor you or hold your hand throughout the the process. Even your property management uh company, uh they can hold your hand. I know when I first brought my rental property I didn't know nothing about no real estate, but my property manager went—he held my hand throughout the whole process. Mm. And after I brought that one, I was like, "Oh, I know the game now." That's how it be. That first one, I tell people all the time: like, all you gotta do is get that first one, bro. When you get that first one, it's gonna just open your mind up because you're gonna see it's not as difficult as you thought. It's not as scary as you thought, and you're gonna see how simple it is. So it's going to be like, whoa, let me do this again. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. But you got to do that first one first. You got to be bold enough and strategic enough to get that first one. Exactly. And a rule of thumb for my flippers out there, because I know people love flipping. Mm-hmm. I hate flipping. That is for the birds, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> so with flipping, right, this is my strategy. <clears throat> when I first flipped my house, I didn't go in it blindly. I partnered with a flipper that was already established. I said, That's hey, hard. what's your next flip? He told me. I was like, well, I got X amount of dollars to invest in it. I was like, I want to get a return and I want to learn. That's all you got to do. Put your money up into a flipper's deal that already knows the game. That way, you're making money and you, you have access to them. Because now you're an investor, you, you you just put it all out there in an agreement. Hey, like, you got to teach me this. When I call you, you pick up. And my mentor, he did that for me. Um, and I, I, that's how I learned how to flip. And that's what truly showed me, like, oh, now nah, these contractors, like, I might have to, you know, 
do something crazy to one of them. They they <laughs> run off on your money quick. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's another that's another part we speak on a lot. Though the property manager and contractors, that's man, that's that's your one and two right there. Your point and your shooting guard right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's you you need you you need you need those. And the 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 crazy part about it, a good property manager and a good contractor is always like not easy to find, especially depending on like certain markets. It ain't gonna be easy. You gonna have to do your due diligence and be looking around, getting quotes from people, looking at people work, and all kinds of that shit. So, yeah, that's something you gotta yeah. be willing to do when you get in this game, though. Like I said earlier, you can't be intellectually lazy or lazy. Period. You know what I'm saying? If you are gonna get into any game, you gotta understand the rules of the game. You gotta be willing to put your best work for it, put the most effort, so you can have the best outcome. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's as simple as that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And uh, before we wrap up, bro, I just want to say I I really appreciate you coming coming on, man. You dropped a lot, a whole lot of game that I know I know for a fact this episode was going to be valuable to a lot of our listeners, man. So I wanted to say thank you. And uh, before I let you go, do you mind then plugging all your stuff where people can find you, follow you, everything you got going on, man? Just just plug it in. Uh yes. Um, thanks for allowing me to be on this podcast, man. Okay. Um. Y'all can uh, follow me on the gram at uh, Big League Approved. Everything is spelled professionally, not ghetto, Big League Approved. (laughs) Um, Just follow me there. Um, On Twitter, it's uh, Big League 3X. Um, My Twitter account is not associated with my Big League Approved account Mm. at all. Um, But Big League Approved, um, I'm a licensed loan officer. Um, I have access to do loans in all states, but New York and Hawaii don't do loans up there. Um, business credit, I can lend throughout all 50 states, but definitely like, you know, follow me. I'll follow you back. And if you need a house loan, call your boy. You know, yeah. like I'm top five, top 5% in the Southeast market in lending. Mm, that's major, bro. Congrats. Congrats. Oh, thanks, man. Congrats, man. And yeah, that, and like you said, y'all definitely hit him up. And if you looking, trying to get some deals, trying to get some real estate, definitely hit him up. Y'all heard all the game he gave on here. So y'all know he know his shit. So hit him up. And uh, once again, bro, I just want to say appreciate you again for coming on, man. I'm going to definitely be keeping in touch with you, bro. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, bro. And that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Miller. You can find me on all platforms at Xavier C. Miller. And you can also find Deanna uh, at Deanna Kent on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow the Millionaire Mindsets Instagram page and Twitter page at M Mindsets Pod. And once again, thank you all for listening to another episode. See you guys next episode. Peace. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier, y'all gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary Still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments 
and sacrificing temporary for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier, y'all gonna talk about it. No, Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.